All right, well, so last week, if you were with us, we celebrated World Communion Sunday, and I did something a little bit different, and I actually used our formal liturgy for celebrating communion. Don't always do that. You know, when we celebrate every week, uh, sometimes that can feel really clunky to do the whole prayer of the great Thanksgiving. But on special occasions, I think the words of our liturgy are really powerful. You know, the words that we use in worship are powerful. They're formative. What we do here is important. It's formative. It, it forms us in our faith week in and week out as we gather and as we worship God. And so I, I really enjoy using the prayer of the great Thanksgiving at times. Um, and we're going we're gonna to do that kind of throughout the liturgical year. But if you caught it, I, and I've highlighted this before, but it's one of my favorite, I say that a lot, one of my favorite parts of this prayer of the great Thanksgiving is when I pray these words, And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. And then together we proclaimed that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. Thank you, Jan. And so it starts, and so. So clearly this is summarizing what has come before as, as we sort of rehearsed the story of our faith from creation to freedom to the birth and sacrifice and death of Jesus Christ. And then we say, and so in response to these mighty acts of salvation in Jesus Christ, because of all that Christ has done for us, we pray and we approach this table and we offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice So this morning, we're starting a new teaching series where I'm going to invite you to just reflect on that with me. We offer ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice, spending a couple of weeks just saying, what does that really mean, and what does it look like to be a holy and living sacrifice? Of course, first, we we know, um, know, because our liturgy was written with scripture in mind, that's a good thing, (laughs) our liturgy and our book of worship. Of course, first, this comes from Scripture, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Maybe you've heard this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome. And if you've read Romans 1 through 11, you know it's been pretty dense. It's covered a lot. It goes deep into the theological woods of of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And after all of that, we don't really have like a systematic theology for Paul. But if we did, it would be Romans 1 through 11 and 16 through 16. But after that, after that really dense 1 through 11, Paul starts 12 through 16 with sort of the application. And this is what your life together should look like as believers in this community in Rome. This is what your life together should look like. And it all starts with this. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He'll go on later in Romans 12 and say things like, let your love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. 
outdo one another in showing honor, rejoice in hope, live in harmony with one another. All of these sort of straightforward instructions of telling them this is what your life together should look like, and it starts here. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That sounds weird, right? Like I looked at, that, that really is the word body there. And you're like, okay, what? Like what, Paul, what are you, what are you really asking of here? <laughs> what did I hear? No. Oh, I thought I heard an answer. I was like, yeah. Maybe it was yes, Lord. <laughs> what, are you, what are you asking for us here? It sounds a little weird, but yes, we were actually talking about physical body, but in the sense of like your, your life, your, your time on earth in that body. Present all that you have, all that you are, your life for the furtherance of the kingdom of God, kind of on earth as it is in heaven. Offer, offer yourself for this mission, for this community of life together in faith in Jesus Christ. So as United Methodists, there are a couple of things uh, that, that we believe of what it means to be sort of a holy and living sacrifice. First, uh, we believe that the faith is supposed to be lived out in community. We need each other. We're not supposed to do this alone. We believe that it should be lived out, our faith expressed in a particular community like this church, like Revolution a local church that helps us grow in grace and grow in our faith and become more like Christ. So we commit, you know, for those of you who have gone through and attended a membership class or joined this church, we have these membership vows of we commit to supporting this local church, this particular community, with our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. This is our way of articulating, offer yourself all that you have for the furtherance of God's kingdom here through the mission of Revolution Church because we need each other. Offer your prayers. Offer your presence. And not just showing up on Sunday or filling up a spot, but engaging in the life of the church, being present in worship, in small groups, in our fellowship events. Offering our gifts, yes, financial gifts for the furtherance of God's kingdom here. Serve And of course, witness, kind of what we just talked about, our whole neighbor series, witness, be a witness of love in the community, of loving your neighbor. This is our way of saying, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. And then we, as United Methodists, also believe that we are called to be holy, and not just sort of set apart as holy, which is true, or just like like Christ, but we believe that throughout the course of our lives that we are in this process where the Holy Spirit is actually pouring out grace upon us and we are growing and, and we can grow in grace to the point that we may be holy. We call this, here's your, you should keep track of the really big churchy words I used today because that would be super fun. I should have like seen if you could count them and then there's a prize at the end. All of my love. <laughs> All of my love. That's it. That's all I have. Yes, that's all I have to give. <laughs> yeah, yes. And if you know the word sanctification, <laughs> there's your big churchy word. 
We believe that throughout the course of our lives, we, we actually can be made holy in this life, that the Holy Spirit's at work in us, growing in grace and the fruit of that Spirit, redeeming us, sort of refining us, making us more like Christ, making us holy as a set-apart people. We believe that we may be sanctified. So that's what, what it means for us. Of we, we believe this is kind of our purpose, right? This is, this is kind of our, our mission to be a holy and living sacrifice, offering all that we have, and in the process of that, being made holy. All right, so I know you're wondering, what in the world does that, this have to do with our new teaching series? In the next four weeks, we're going to really talk about being a holy and living sacrifice. And if you haven't guessed it already, you know it's our favorite time of year, my friends. I know, I know. Pumpkin spice everything. The weather is crisp and cool. It's sweater weather. We're here. You've been dreaming of it. And finally, it's the season in the life of the church where we get to talk about church finances. Yes, you've been waiting. I know you woke up on October 1st and you got that pumpkin spice latte and you said, yes, finally, the stewardship campaign. I know you did. I know. I know you did, Sharon. I know. And y'all are already here now, so you can't leave. But it's okay. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. Marie, tell me later how many people just like got offline. <laughs> I'm like, and she's talking about stewardship. There's your second big churchy word. We talked about membership, sanctification, stewardship. It's that time of year, my friends. But in all seriousness, I know, at least for me as your pastor, this is, I, I don't always love this because it, I know that it, it often just feels like the big money ask and that's all I care about. It's not all I care about. But I'm also that person that when you're listening to the radio and they switch to the campaign, I go, next. <laughs> you know, you just sort of, it's not fun, it's awkward, but it's a really important part of our life together here. Because listen, friends, I'm not just talking about keeping the lights on. I'm not just talking about paying bills. We're talking about stewardship and giving of ourselves as a spiritual practice, as a discipline that actually helps us grow more in grace, become more holy, and become more like Christ as we're growing in this kind of understanding of, of generosity and community and love for the sake of the mission of God in the world. And it just so happens to, to be that we believe that we live that out as a people of faith right here through Revolution Church, that this is our way that we are joining with the mission of God in the world. It is our spiritual worship, Romans says, to offer ourselves to the glory of God right here. So I wanted to approach it this year in sort of a different kind of fun way. And, and what's the way that, that we can do that? You know, to, to sort of help us think about stewardship and, and giving of ourselves as a holy and living sacrifice, as, a, as that spiritual practice, that spiritual discipline. And I decided that it might be fun to talk about this in conversation with the saints. And so each week, I'm going to tell you a story of a different saint in the life of our church and our shared church history, that they figured out a way to be faithful to Jesus and to, to give of themselves in certain ways in their own time and place. And I think their stories and their witness can still inform us today and hopefully inspire us. And all of this, of course, will lead up to October 30th, 
when we as a church will celebrate All Saints Day. We celebrate the great cloud of witnesses that we are a part of. We, we celebrate the ones who have gone before us, both the kind of like fancy saints that are famous and also the ones that we knew who still inform our faith today. The ones that still sort of instruct us. Their lives live on because we are a part of the communion of saints. And here's the other fun part. We are actually called to be living saints. That's part of the sanctification, right? That we are a part of this communion of saints, but it's not just about dead people who have gone on. It's about us becoming holy. And so I thought the saints could maybe help me talk about these hard things for the next few weeks. Are you with me? That was a lot of setup for our series for the next few weeks. I've already told you how many weeks, so I'll know how many you skip. (laughs) Whoops, that's all right, that's all right. So it'll all lead up to celebrating All Saints Day on October 30th. So, so first up, the first saint that I want to tell you about is Sarah Crosby. And the way that she discovered to give of herself was out of the way of necessity. Has anyone heard of Sarah Crosby? Awesome, yeah, all right. All my love. That's your gift. It's your prize. You knew. Yeah. Sarah Crosby was born in England in 1729. She did not become religious until she was about 14, and she joined the Anglican Church, so the Church of England. That was the main church. After hearing John Wesley preach and after reading some of his works, though, she became a Methodist in 1749 at the age of 20. Now, remember at this time, The Methodist church wasn't a separate church. It was just a movement for revival and renewal within the Anglican church, the Church of England. So at the age of 20, she converts to Methodism, if you will, and she joins the ranks of sort of uh, the foundry, which is it was a core Methodist society of the movement. She joins a small group. Think about it that way. She joins a class meeting. And over time, she began to lead her own Methodist class And that was just considered a small group of accountability. In 1752, that was at the age of 22, she started to lead her own class. And these met separately in homes, similar to our house groups, where they would still go to to the Anglican church on Sunday and and worship, but they would have these small bands and, and classes for accountability, to ask, how is it with your soul, to pray for one another. And so Sarah Crosby, at the age of 22, was leading one of these house groups, okay, was leading one of these class meetings. And it was shortly about this time, like around this time that she started, you know, at 22, after she started leading this class meeting, she experienced a vision from Jesus while praying. And the vision simply said this, it was the words of Jesus saying to her, feed my sheep. And if you know, that's the That's sort of the call that Jesus gave to Peter after he sees Jesus resurrected on the beach and runs to him and is is asking forgiveness for denying him right there on the beach. And he, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times he asks, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And it's sort of Peter's mission then to go and and to share the gospel from there. So Sarah Crosby hears that in a vision, feed my sheep. And in that moment, she believes that she is being called to preach. But y'all, it's 1752. And we know that women were not permitted to preach 
at that time. So she continued facilitating these house groups, these small groups, for nine more years she did this, until in 1761 she was leading one of these classes, and all of a sudden, instead of the normal 30 that showed up, she had over 200 people show up to this small group. And she thought, oh my word, what am I going to do? I can't lead discussion like I normally do for 30 people. And so she, in a letter she says this, quote, I gave out a hymn and prayed and told them part of what the Lord had done for me, persuading them to flee from sin. Y'all, she shared her testimony. She shared with them what God had done for her and then persuaded them, flee from your sin. She was conflicted about this, so she writes to John Wesley after saying, what do I do? This is what I did. What should I do if these people continue to come? She had done something extraordinary because the occasion called for it. She preached. And she consulted with John Wesley later through, through letters, and even though he generally at that time was against female preachers, she did what the moment had required. And John Wesley said that. You did the right thing. You did what the moment had required of you. And it was through this incident and others that over time, especially the witness of his mother, Susanna, over time, John Wesley eventually came to actually license a few female preachers toward the end of his life. People like Sarah Crosby, Ann Ford, and Mary Fletcher. But it was Sarah Crosby and our heritage, our tradition, that we sort of remember as the first female preacher in Methodism. It's kind of cool. She had done what the moment required of her. Out of way of necessity, these people came. And she passed out a hymn, and she shared her testimony, and she shared the gospel, and she prayed. Offering what she had in the moment out of a way of necessity. There was an obvious need, and, and she had to respond. You know what? Sometimes this happens. God moves. God surprises us. I don't think Sarah expected over 200 people to show up to her house. God moves. The Holy Spirit inspires, and, and we've got to respond in, in ways that we don't feel prepared for, that ways that we didn't expect, but in those moments, offering what we have in the moment to respond to the need that's in front of us, ready or not. But here's the thing, believing as you step out in faith and trusting that the one who calls you is also going to equip you, that the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need in that moment to respond to the need that's in front of you. That's happened time and time again. We have scripture that even says to the disciples, and when you are thrown in front of the courts, don't worry about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will come and give you the words. But it takes kind of that surrender of kind of stepping out and just offering yourself and seeing how God's going to show up. So Sarah preached. I'm wondering if any of us have had a, ever had a moment like that where we are prepared to do something that we think we need to do, but then God moves, something surprising and, and wild kind of happens, and we've got to shift gears, we've got to do something else, and, and we've got to respond. That's often the way the Holy Spirit works. There's another story in Scripture that I think captures another kind of surprising move of the Spirit. 
when Peter, the one that was instructed to go and feed my sheep, when Peter has to respond in a way that he gets in a little bit of trouble for. This is the story of Peter and Cornelius from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. I'm going to read this passage for us. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, (laughs) It's a fun party, huh? You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me, looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. That's Cornelius' house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Last slide. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. That's the council in Jerusalem. These leaders, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, y'all might remember I talked about this story of Cornelius a year ago in August in our series on ordinary people. But I, this is sort of the recounted version of Peter retelling the story just a chapter before in Acts chapter 10. That's the one that we dug into just over a year ago when this is actually happening. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house. It's very much the same. If you read them together, it'll feel very, very repetitive. But this is the story. Peter has that strange vision where he's actually hungry and he falls into a trance and he starts seeing all these kind of meats and things and rise, kill, and eat. But it's things that a good Jewish law-abiding person, Jewish man, would not have eaten. And that's why he's saying, I'm a good, I would never do this. What do you mean? I don't, I've never put anything unclean in my mouth. I'm not supposed to. Things like pork or, or shellfish, types of insects. He doesn't really understand this vision. Peter doesn't until he is summoned to Cornelius. Until he meets Cornelius and he hears about the vision that Cornelius had at the same time. Who is saying, hey, send and go get Peter. He has a message to share with you that will be salvation for your whole household. Cornelius is a Roman uh, official in the army. He's Gentile. You're not supposed to eat with Gentiles, let alone enter into their house. 
he wouldn't have expected. But the way that we're introduced to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 is he says he was a God-fearing man. So he already believed in the God of Israel. And a vision comes to him saying, and this is now the way of your salvation, coming to share with him the message of Jesus Christ. So Peter goes because he's summoned. And he doesn't understand the vision until he hears about Cornelius's vision. He sees them pray. He hears their story. He spends time with them in their house. And after he shares the gospel with them, did y'all catch this? The Holy Spirit fell on them. Like at Pentecost, that's what he's referring to. Peter's referring to the moment of Pentecost, just as it was in the beginning. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Who was I to stand in God's way, he says. So he baptizes them. This household of Gentiles, he, he baptizes them. And the officials in Jerusalem hear about this, and they go, what's this we hear about you going to a Gentile's house and and baptizing them? And not only that, but eating with them? And that passage I just read is his defense before these religious leaders, saying, listen, this is how God was moving, and I had to respond. Out of a way of necessity, he preached the gospel, and he baptized them. The Spirit moved, and Peter had to catch up. Peter had to respond. And I love his defense. If the same spirit that fell on us in the beginning also fell on them, who was I to stand in God's way? I love that defense because there's nothing you can really say against that. (laughs) In fact, they fell silent. There was nothing to say. Out of necessity, he had to respond. And that's how God works and moves sometimes in unexpected and surprising ways to offer ourselves and trust that what we have given is enough. Trust that what we have given is enough. So that's the first way of this series. Out of the way of necessity, God moves, God acts. There are needs, and we are called to respond by offering ourselves All that we have, our prayers, our presence, yes, our financial gifts, but also our service and our witness. I think it goes without saying that over the course of the past several years, a lot of surprising and unexpected things have happened. And it is true that we as a church community have some needs. That we are praying and hoping the Spirit moves and folks step up and respond. We have some needs. Oh, look at this, the way of necessity. There you go. We have some very clear needs still in our AV team. And hear me, because the world changed, an unexpected pandemic hit, we spent a lot of money upgrading our video system so that we could stream and worship online, but we believe that we still need to do that today because that's become the front door of our church. That's become the first way that that visitors may come and see and, and check us out until they step foot actually in the physical building. It's important that we continue this streaming option. I don't know how many of you who have listened to the podcast in the past have gone back to audio only, but I know for me I haven't. I do video now, the video podcast. 
We feel like this is a need when something unexpected and surprising happened. We responded in 2020, spent money to get that system, but now the need still remains. And yet we only have three people who know how to run the video booth. And they, they're tired. Here's the thing, if more of us stepped up and offered what we have on the ground training, by the way, on the job training, we'll teach you. If more of us stepped up and offered that, you wouldn't have to do it as often. We wouldn't get burned out. That's an important thing. Any, anything back there in the booth, running AV, sound, but especially video. We still have needs in Revolution Kids. We had changes that happened in the past couple of years. And I'll be honest, some core leaders that used to teach, they're worshiping somewhere else now. But we still have kids who are coming and who need to hear a message of love and of hope and of Jesus. And so we need more teachers who are willing to say, okay, I'll offer my, <laughs> that does kind of feel like a living sacrifice, doesn't it, for some of you? I'm going to offer my whole body, my whole life to chase the kids upstairs. It's fun. It's great. Don't be afraid. That's another thing that if more people did it more often, you wouldn't have to do it as much, right? It's not something where you'd be locked into doing it every single week if we had some folks. And I'll be honest, two of the people who run video are also upstairs with kids. Hear what I'm saying? So the rotation. We love our kids. We are a family-centered church. They are the life and joy of our community. We love having them in worship. And they also need to know there are other adults, living saints in their life, that can teach them the way of Jesus beyond just their parents. We have other needs to serve. Some of you are like, yes, we want to do Grace Kids, and we want to do it more often. That's great. I want to know if that's you, if you're interested. Some of the ways that we used to serve, especially with Family Scholar House, unexpectedly changed because of the pandemic. We have still not gone back in that building and done the book club or served a meal like we did before 2020. And that's okay. There's a need that has arised at Grace Kids that some of you have energy and excitement about. But I want to know if that's something that you would join me in on a regular basis. And then just last week, Vance reached out and said, hey, at a way of necessity, as the weather's getting colder, Here's a very obvious need we have, coats and gloves and hats for our unhoused neighbors that Vance and others see every Saturday morning, and blankets, and socks, and tents, and propane, and see them after. Okay, that's different than the list you sent me. <laughs> okay, yeah, see Vance. See, Vance, do you, you hear me, though? Offering what we have, whether that's our time, whether that's our presence, whether that's our leadership, whether that's the old coats in the back of your closet that you have not worn in years, go through them. I know I have a container of about 12 pairs of gloves that I sifted through to find one that fit to go to my son's soccer game on Saturday morning because it was 45 degrees outside. I don't need all 12 of those. Join me next week in bringing them here so that Vance can bless our neighbors. If you're wondering how to sign up to serve 
Oh, it died. Okay, my, it, one more slide. One more slide, please. Two more, actually. Did you know right here, right now, you can pull out your phones and sign up through our app? Part of what I want this morning is for you to communicate maybe one way that you might be willing to serve. Maybe it's not something I've even mentioned this morning. But you can go in our app. You can click on Connect and Serve. You can go to Sign Up to Serve. And then there are all kinds of options there. Guest services, another big need we have, just to be a part of the hospitality crew here on a Sunday morning. Again, if more people did these things more often, no one would be locked in to every single week or even every other week. All kinds of options there, signing up to serve. That's on our app. One more slide. You can also do it on our website. The same form pops up if you go to our website and just sign up to serve. Out of a way of necessity, as we seek to live out the mission of God right here through this church, hear me, it's bigger than us, but it's how we have discerned together to do life together and then to respond to God's mighty acts of salvation in Jesus Christ by offering what we have, our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness for the furtherance of God's kingdom here. Out of way of necessity, serving through some of these ways is just one way. Amen? Sound good? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are and for the ways that you continue to be at work through our church and through our world. God, we know sometimes it's unexpected and it's surprising and we are, man, we are trying to, to catch up and respond and to be caught up in the movement of the Holy Spirit. What a gift that it is to see you at work. Would you give us the vision and the eyes and the courage to join in with you in places that you are at work in our community? And God, we trust and know that you will provide for every need that we have, both individually and as a church. And so God, as this our act of spiritual worship, we offer ourselves and we say, would you take these gifts, would you bless and multiply them so that we may be a part of the kingdom of God that is coming on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.